Hello and welcome back to the Railway Men podcast. This is the third of our summer podcast. Today I am joined as ever by a couple of our regular panellists. Firstly, Steve Davis. Hi, Steve. Good evening, Stu. And making his debut on one of these types of pods is Mark Bertels. Hi, Mark. Good evening, everybody. Now, today's guest is a little bit different. He didn't play for the Alex. He hasn't coached at the Alex. However, I do believe he is a lifetime fan and he is the new, newish chairman. It's Charles Grant. Hi, Charles. Good evening, Stuart. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. And welcome to the podcast. Thank you for giving up your time for us today. Pleasure. Okay, so I think we're going to start. Um, I've just mentioned you're a crew fan. I've read that you're a crew fan all of your life. Is that true? It is, yeah. Um, about the age of seven, I think. Um, not through my, not through my um, own family, ironically. Uh, we used to play football and I went with, um, with my best mate's father. He took me and uh, that's how I got hooked. Um, standing on the, uh, on the gravel behind the, uh, the railway end. So it's a long time ago. So there might be some people listening to that who weren't aware of Cruz players back then. Um, who's your earliest heroes that you can remember? Well, I suppose the heroes, you know, come in the, the sort of Lowry Lee time. You know, I, I mean, I mean, Tommy Lowry was always my, you know, sort of. I, mean, I remember Frank Lord when I was very young, who had been to Plymouth and uh, you know, was a bit of a superstar if you had superstars in those days. But I lived very close to Willie Maley, um, who was the goalkeeper used to wash his car and uh, and then um, when Stan Bowles played for us he used to wash his car as well still owes me money for washing his car so you know as you as you grow up um, it depends what position you play doesn't it as to as to who your heroes are uh, type thing but I always loved Tommy Lowry and um, you know Johnny King was I just used to love watch Johnny King on the wing and then there's a couple of other players later on who are if you like, as I grow older and they got closer to my age group, then they're not so much your heroes then, are they? They're just, they're sort of people who made it when you didn't. Uh, and then when you get much older, of course, uh, you look back and you think, he's a good kid, you know, he's, he's got real, you know, as we do today, you know. So I've sort of, I've sort of grown with the team in the sense that um, in the early days, they were all heroes because they were, you know, we were playing football and you didn't even understand what it meant. And then we got to an age where you definitely weren't going to play football, um, but they were. Then you sort of thought, yeah, good players, you know. I was never quite as good as him, but, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then, of course, we've always had good players at crew have gone on. You know, John Mahoney was one who, um, I love John Mahoney. I thought he was a fantastic player, played for Wales and, you know, went on to Stoke. I just, there's, there's just so many, you know, so many. Um, it's, it's part of your life, isn't it? Could you could you pick out a best player that you've ever seen at Crew? Bit unfair, isn't it? I think <laughs> um, you know. I think Stan Bowles was probably as talented as you're ever going to see. Um, but you know, you, you look at what Sean Smith did for the football club. You know, the complete other end of the spectrum. Then fantastic. And how can you ignore? You know, he was only here for a year, but we had Bruce Grobbelar for God's sake. You know, in goal. 
So I, I don't think I could pick a favourite now. It doesn't, football for me isn't like that in a way. It's, I mean, football's a team game, isn't it? And even to this day, you know, I've just been with Dave Artel for the last three hours talking about, you know, uh, the squad and what we need to sign and all the rest of it. It's actually about putting a team together. And yeah, it's great to see talent come through and uh, the individuals, but it's about the 11, isn't it? You know, Ronaldo can't win a game on his own, can he? You know, he needs... Well, probably needs five or six others to help him. Yeah, I'm not sure he believes that, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> probably not. Are we in the market for him? Uh, well, we will be in the market for him. Yeah, just not yet. <laughs> <laughs> now, when he's about 70 or 80, you know. <laughs> um, so, equally difficult question then. Um, could you single out a game that sticks in your head as the best 90 minutes you've seen for crew? Uh, I'm, I don't look back that often. So from that point of view, I think the um, the playoff final that Artel won, you know, with the with Powell and, and and that group of players, you know, that's the one I look back to because it's the most recent. To be honest, I mean, football's about tomorrow, isn't it? You know, um, for me it is anyway, um, and I can remember going to the Tottenham game, but. But I can't remember it at all, you know. And you wouldn't say that was the best game, would you, when you get absolutely mullered? So, was that the 13 2 game? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. And I can I'm remember, sure I remember that on the uh, popular side, I don't know how the hell I got in. It would be with my friend's father who died, um, sadly, only about 10 or 15 years after that. But I mean, I really enjoyed the playoff final, you know, and I thought we scored good goals. I thought we were a decent team. And it's, it's our most recent, you know, success type thing, you know. Um, but the team we've got at the minute has played some games this year. What's sad is that you know most of the the, uh, the fans haven't been able to see them live, isn't it? Because we've had you know we've had one or two marvelous performances this year. I mean, I think one of the best performances I've seen from a crew side in the last few years was at Ipswich this year. We lost one 0 Yeah, <laughs> you know. So I, if I look at it in a slightly different way. It's, it's there's not so much looking back. It's more about the present, and it it truly is about how well we played now. You don't want to play 46 games like Ipswich and get no points, do you? But, I mean, we, we were fantastic. You know, the Ipswich board thought it was the best team they'd seen for God knows how long. And, you know, I just thought we played really well. It was a, it was, a, it was an excellent performance. But the game I remember is is the playoff final, you know, with Artel and his broken foot and shaking my chest. You know. <laughs> Okay, so I mean, we'll we'll start with your involvement in football. Um, obviously, you came into football not with Crew Alex; it was with Nantwich Town, wasn't it? Not Happen really, no. Right, okay. No, Nantwich is. Um, yeah, I mean, you're right in one sense. Yeah, I mean, I've had a relationship with the people at Crew for probably twenty years, but because of business and one thing and the other, it was never it wasn't possible to, you know, to. to to, to get involved in the in the manner in which I would like to have gone involved. I got involved in Nantwich because um, Clive Jackson, who was the chairman at Nantwich, they were just about to sell their ground and move to uh, the, the Weaver Stadium. And he needed help. And uh, I'd not long sold my business. And I was um, back in Nantwich a bit, and I'd known Clive for many a year. And he said, can you help me? And I said, yeah, of course I can. Um, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I helped him... Uh, with the finances and the organisation of, you know, it's not easy to to sell a football ground at that level in the football uh, pyramid. And um, 
hold everything together and move to a new ground and and keep it going. Everybody thinks, you know, they made a fortune because they sold their ground, but they didn't. And, you know, they were at least one and a half million pounds short. And then they tried, you know, they're, they're building another ground. So there was a lot of sort of, um, oh, I don't know, financial planning and project planning. And I helped Clive with that for two or three years. I thoroughly enjoyed it as well. Um, and, uh, you know, Nantwich is, I go to Nantwich whenever crew aren't playing. It's, it's where I live and, you know, it's great to go. Does your time there then prepare you for what's then going to happen when you join the crew board? It's 2012, isn't it, that you join the crew board? I don't think so, no. Um, it, it, I suppose, no, not really. Not really. I mean, you know, crew's not a, not a huge football club, but it's still, you know, financially 10 or 12, 13, 14 times bigger than at Nantwich and the way in which, you know, Nantwich is... Is based on volunteers, rightly so. You know, uh, teams like Nantwich and Witten, um, you know, rely on volunteers. Professional football clubs, at the end of the day, they're still they're still a sporting endeavour and they're still a football team, and it's still about football. But I mean, you've really got to have your you know your sort of financial and business head screwed on, or else or else you go bust. You know, so you can be as enthusiastic about your football as you like. Um, what we did achieve at Nantwich, I suppose, in, in some sense, is helped at Crew because we put the, we managed to get the grounds and the, the whole of the Nantwich town infrastructure put into effectively a trust that could never be touched. So nobody could come along and say, "Well, I own this, and I'm going to sell it, and I'm going to put houses on it, and hard luck," you know, as happened to Chester and Wrexham and a few other clubs. Um, so that was that was a significant achievement with uh, Nantwich. It was what Clive wanted to achieve, and you know the current football club leases the leases the ground for nothing or for peppercorn every year. Um, and if anything silly happened to the football club, well, you know the football club would be reformed, but it would still be there in all its glory. It might be in a slightly lower league, and we use that, or I use that, as a, a motivation for dealing with Mr. Hassel. Um, a crew because up until the time when we started to have problems with Norman Hassel, crew had truly been community based and community owned, and nobody nobody seriously saw Crew Alexandra as an investment. Um, they saw it as a you know as a joy, a hobby, a privilege, or whatever. But we you know we had some tough times um, over the last sort of five or six years, and I suppose some of the things that happened at Nantwich might have helped a little bit in dealing with Norman Hassel, but. That's probably it. I mean, there is a significant difference between playing football at Nantwich and playing football at Crew in Division Three, if you like, or League One. So you just mentioned that you know no one gets involved in Crew to make money. Um, I was doing a bit of research for this pod, and I found a couple of articles. One of the quotes I pulled out that you were um, that you've got in one of the news articles is, "Why would you put money into Crew Alexandra Football Club only because you can and because you care?" So, I mean, that's a good, I feel like, you know, that's a good thing for a fan to read that the person who wants to get involved is um, someone who cares about the football club. And I think that comes across in quite a lot of your interviews. Um, so how do you make the switch to crew then? How, how do you get involved in the board? Well, it wasn't really that big a switch. I mean, I'd had conversations with various people at crew long before the Nantwich uh, days, but I used to be very busy at one time. Um, and I just didn't think getting involved in Crew Alexander in the late 90s, you know, early 2000s was 
was very practical because if you're going to get involved, you're doing it because you love it and you want to be involved. And if you say, well, I love it, but I can't get involved because I'm too busy. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll leave it till I'm not too busy and then I'll get involved. So, um, you know, the, the, the board directors at crew, I mean, you know, we'd been, we'd had six season tickets for God knows how long for, you know, myself and my wife. He was a mad keen uh, Crowley's on making football fan and making rugby fan as well, um, and the four four children are all now in their forties and thirties. Um, you know, we'd had season tickets forever, so I knew all the people. You know, I'd had conversations um, with various people, but it wasn't appropriate. You know, it, I didn't feel it was appropriate until such time as you really want to, you know, put the effort in type thing, um, which is when I did get involved. Really. So, I mean, I don't think I'm the only crew fan who thinks this, but there was there was a certain amount of negativity around the club, you know, obviously with the ongoing case uh, a few years ago, and then with normal ha- hassle as well, who you've mentioned. Um, I think that changed, though, with Norman Hassel being brought out and the supporters' trust being brought in. I think there was a start of a turnaround in, you know, this is, we're going to make it a feel-good club again, whereas before it sort of lost that way. Um, another thing I've, I've read that you said is, it was a lot more touch and go with him and how he was conducting business um, than the fans realise. Were we in serious danger of going out of business at any point then? Well, we didn't. So, it, you know, um, it's, it's it's a hypothetical question now, isn't it, I suppose? Um, things were very tough. Um, I, I mean, I say to people... If you go back 40 years, I mean, Norman Hassel did a lot of good for Crowley Sunday Football Club. Now, for whatever reason, you know, I don't know the details, don't want to know the details, personal circumstance. Uh, in latter years, he saw the football club as an investment. Well, fundamentally, I disagree with that anyway. Um, so did all the other shareholders, you know, uh, David Rollinson, Jimmy Rollinson, John Bowler. Um, you know, the, they all disagreed with that, that caricature. But it, he managed to persuade, you know, Danny uh, Potts that it was an investment and, you know, they could sell it for a lot of money. And once you get control, then that makes life very difficult. And the reason I probably made those comments that you're referring to is that um, when somebody is in control and you're not, yet they're not prepared to support the football club, and you are, and when Ian Williamson and I came into the football club and, you know, you're, you're supporting the football club, we have no guarantees. I mean, the money could have just been... As we put it in, it could have, could have been taken out again, you know. So, you know, it's not a great place to be. Um, but I always believed that, you know, we would reach an agreement with Norman and restructure it in the way in which we now have, which, you know, I've, I just think the structure we've got now, it's probably not perfect at all, but it's, um, it's really good. Um, the people who are involved want to be involved. The people who put their money in, including the fans, wanted to put their money in. Um, you know, we we run it in a very different way to to those days, um, and hopefully, because <laughs> um, we shouldn't forget. You know, we were in the championship for, for ten years during during um, Norman Hassel's time, um, but hopefully, we're we're going to start moving in the right direction again. So, touch and go. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I said the, the the comment I did make, which I always stand by, is that you know Norman had his foot on our throat. Um, because he did. I always remember a, f- a fans forum. I had a conversation with you 
Um, and you said that we will keep putting money in to make sure that the unthinkable can't happen. Mm. And I said to you, it was afterwards, I said, well, you can't keep doing that forever. And your answer to me was, well, we will. And I will always thank you for that. Because um, I don't know how close we were, but the rumour mill was that it was quite close. Well, you know, I mean, <laughs> having been involved in football for a while, I mean, if you let me tell you, we're in pretty good nick. You know, when you look at the 72, by Joe, there's some basket cases out there. Um, so everything's relative at the end of the day. And the beauty of having, uh, particularly post uh, uh, Millman, is that, you know, there's more people to be involved. But, you know, I think we could have always called upon those people who weren't involved uh, had had the worst situation developed, uh, we could have probably done that anyway. Uh, but yes, I mean, that, that was the only alternative we had was to put the money in and um, and keep talking. I mean, I used to work in software with big, with large corporations across the world and deals used to take two or three years and, and the projects would take five, six, or even 10 years. But dealing with Norman was even worse than that. I mean, it was tough, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and we just seemed to go round and round and round and round. But, was it purely down to the valuation? Um, I suppose at the end of the day, the answer to that question has to be yes, right? Because if you've got your house up for sale, I can sell it for you. All right now, a pound might not be enough. And if you want a million, I can't sell it for you. It always has to come down to a negotiation on price, I suppose. There was a, there, there was a, a bit more to it than that. And of course, you know, as I said to you before, you know, uh, Norman had been involved in the club for an awful long time. Um, so, and he'd done a lot of good. So it wasn't simply money, but predominantly, yeah. I mean, these things are predominantly about money when it gets to that. Let's move on then, Charles, to you becoming chairman. Now, it's still fairly recent, three months or so. Um, John Bowler, he came out and said he was always going to step aside at the conclusion of the Sheldon Report. How early did you know that was going to happen? And were you aware that you were next in line for chairman? Um, John and I, John took, they're, they're two very separate things. Um, the, the Sheldon report is sort of the, the, you know, the last four and a half years of our history from November 16 up until the present day. Um, now, of course, it all started a lot earlier than that, and it, you know we'd had a, a phase in the in the nineties and in the early two thousands when it was all looked at. So when when this Sheldon inquiry started, or the, the the latest inquiry by the FA that then became the Sheldon inquiry started in uh, November two thousand sixteen, John being the only, uh, director on the board, well, not quite right. David Rawlinson was. Um, but David had always been very uh, sort of hands off. And of course he sadly died anyway, um, a couple of years later. Um, John said, look, I'll take this. Um, it was on my watch um, and he did all the work um, took all the abuse um, in the sense of the pressure. And uh, I'd always been of the opinion um, that at some point following the Sheldon report, John would probably stepped down, he was 84. Um, we didn't discuss it in any detail because it, it wasn't, it's not in John's gift to say, well, I'll step down and you can become chairman. That's not up to John. Um, and it certainly wasn't uh, uh, my 
expectation that he steps down and I just step up. Now, obviously, I've been deputy chairman for a while and pretty heavily involved in what was going on. And more importantly, pretty heavily involved in the, the new people that had come into the club. The new investors were people that, that I'd courted and some that didn't come on board that might come on board at a later date who were just not able to come on board at that time. So um, I'd never had a specific conversation with John about you know, the date upon which he would uh, step down. Uh, events took their own, you know, their own course uh, at that point. But you know, who was going to be chairman was voted on by the board, um, as, it, as it quite rightly should be, um, after John had decided to step down. Okay. Um, we should probably mention the offside trust at this point, you know, quite key part, well, quite, you know, a group that came out of the events that caused the Sheldon report. Um, lots of people um, inside the club, supporters of the club, but also outside of the club were quite um, critical of the way the club handled the offside trust. Um, has there been anything from the club that's gone out to the offside trust since you became chairman? Right. This is... Quite a delicate subject. Let me let me answer it in a different way. Uh, we are in the process um, of uh, reaching out to the survivors, um, or those who wish um, us to reach out to them. Now that that's a very sensitive matter. Um, yeah. But we are now. The offside trust is part of that, um, but it's only part. Um, because it's predominantly uh, Stevie, Steve Walters, um, and there are a number of other people who that we'll be talking to that I don't think have any involvement in the Offside Trust. So I think the question for the fans or supporters who want to know where we are on that journey in terms of um, you know the kids who were abused and, and, and where we've got to is that we are absolutely uh, committed, resolved to, to reaching out and um, apologising to those people concerned. And I really wouldn't like to go any further than that. And even when we've done it, I wouldn't like to go any further because it's, frankly, uh, it's, it's, it's up to those people. Fair enough. Thank you, Charles. Um, I'm going to move on to uh, the man I believe you spent your afternoon with, Dave Artell. But I think Steve's got a question. Uh, I did. Yeah, I was nearly late. Well, I was late one time for him. Yeah. You were two minutes late, Charles, and that's yeah. fine. We were we were fine with that. Uh, Steve's got a question about his appointment, I believe. Yeah. Just obviously, we don't going back over the history. We don't appoint that many managers and sort of sack managers. I just wanted to know what the the sort of process was in sort of alleviating Steve from his position was that there's probably two or three questions into one but he obviously lost his job after the Mansfield game but was that decision made prior to that and what was the sort of decision process in appointing Dave was was that well, solely your decision or well it certainly wasn't solely my decision no not at all um the um I don't really want to talk about you know uh, alleviating Steve I'd rather talk about uh, what it was we thought might be wrong and what we needed to do to correct it. And we were worried that um, Steve was, I can't even remember the Mansfield game. Steve was, certainly wasn't sacked for the Mansfield game anyway, whichever game yeah. that was. Um, that we were concerned um, and still are, and we're still working on this as we speak today, that we need um, an end-to-end -end strategy for our academy. And I consider our academy to be 
Well, we start with under six, sevens and eights, but they're not formally the academy. Under nines become the first part of our academy. And as far as I'm concerned, they go till they're under 39, as, as in Chris Porter, if you like, or Luke Murphy. Um, we have to have a joined up approach through the academy into the first team. Um, and we were beginning to lose that. You know, there was there wasn't great, um, the, you know, the first team wasn't populated with many academy players. I mean, this year we've probably run at seven, eight, nine and ten most weeks. Um, that's not an accident, you know, in the last five years. Uh, so it was to get the the academy model. And I could talk to you for, you know, we do this another day. You know, I could talk to you for hours about the academy model. Um, but the academy model is, is key to our football club. You know, not only is this football club owned by uh, supporters and local people, um, we play, give or take, our local kids. And we like to see them go on and do better and, you know, play higher up the league and drag us up the league with them. And in the last two years, that's, that's what we've been doing um, pretty well. But we had to halt, um, you know, what was becoming a problem between the academy and the first team. You can't have the academy over there and the first team over there. Um, and never the twain shall meet. No, it wasn't quite that way. So when when we decided to have a, a change, then it was I wouldn't say it was a straightforward uh, proposition or decision, um, but we thought you know Dave had been he's he's articulate, um, he's 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 able to pick up on uh, concept concepts and. Um, and strategy very easily and he proven that in the academy in terms of he taken over from Mike Jolly for about four Mike Jolly was had set the E triple P up. Uh, David taken it to a new level. Um, you know he processed it, he'd uh, proceduralized it and he'd realized he put into place a whole series of things. We have a thing called the technical control board which it's, it's a mandatory thing we have to have this technical control board. Um, it's set out by the Premier League. And on the technical control board, that's where we interface with the first team. And, you know, we're starting to put these things into place. So when we decided that um, we should part company with Steve, then can Dave manage a first team? Well, he's never managed anybody before, so probably not. Um, but, you know, does he have the ability? Well, certainly. And that's how the, 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 the Dave appointment in terms of strategy, where we're going and how we're doing it, and the Kenny having played the football, the now the you know the down to the down to earth. We thought it was a good, um, we thought it was a good mix, and you know we had to persuade Dave. <laughs> but and I, everybody said it was a risk. I didn't see it as as, as that big a risk. I really didn't. Um, you know, we didn't want to pick a, a manager off the, you know, off off the production line or off the, the you know the carousel at the airport. I mean, they just go round and round. What's the point? And they wouldn't understand what we were talking about. But as Dave got it, so that's why we did it. Can I ask, was um, was James Collins ever considered? Or how seriously was James Collins considered at the time? Um, well, a lot of people were considered. And I mean, I don't think it's fair on James Collins to talk specifically. I mean, you know, the everybody was considered in, in, in one sense or another um, because we thought about managers and we, talk, we thought about all the staff within the building. Um, but we didn't interview uh, anybody. We we decided to 
uh, approach Dave and Kenny and see if they would uh, take it on. So, I mean, everybody, I mean, Alex Morris is a fantastic coach, you know, Lee Bell would not have been there long, um, but all these people are there now. And of course, in, in, in the background. So uh, there was no interview process, but we, we thought about everybody within the, within the structure before we decided what to do. Okay. Um, so let's talk about, you know, the day-to-day -day running. It's obviously the summer uh, pre-season, um, about 20 minutes before we came on, we've just announced that Sean McDonald signed. Um, all right. Yep. Yeah, I, I don't want to be the one that breaks that to you, Mr. Chairman, but yeah, you've just, uh, you've just spent some money. So I was going to ask, what's the process of signing a player? How do you get involved? How much say do you have in who we sign and, you know, that part of it? Well, the actual player itself, I asked some very basic questions, you know, when was the last time he broke his leg? You know, why did he only play seven games last year? So last season. Why, why has he had 26 clubs in 10 years? But other than that, none whatsoever. Um, Dave has a budget. We have a process uh, that we go through. Um, you know, we we, we recruit um, on quite an intellectual basis, really. I mean, you know, we use databases and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, search out players that we think will fit and that we can afford. Um, we do, for a club of our size, a significant amount of computer analysis in terms of you know, how high does he jump on his left foot? How high does he jump on his right foot? Does he pass with his left foot? What's his past completions? You know, all that sort of stuff. And we draw graphs uh, for every player. And then we take, you know, so if we're looking for centre half, we've got a graph for Omar, who's now left us. So we get a graph and we put it against Omar and say, how does he look against Omar? Oof, he's quite a lot better in the air, isn't he? Uh, and he's certainly a lot better passing, but, you know, his tackles aren't as good and this isn't as good. You know, we work it out on that basis. So we start with, the, the recruitment process for January starts at the end of September, beginning of October, when the list of um, players, which is about four and a half thousand in the list of English players, English, but the players, forget. Um, and then we start to work our way through them in case we might need something in January. Come um, the end of the season, the list has come out in March. So John Dillon, who's um, Dave's head of uh, recruitment and video analysis, he starts, you know, churning the, the databases and dragging it out and sticking it in spreadsheets and sorting and searching and subgrouping and all sorts, uh, and then graphing um, as early as April, May. Of course, all that comes down to what's your transfer strategy. I mean, you know, we, we went through a phase of kids came through, they signed a couple of years contract, and then we couldn't get them to sign a contract at 20. So we'd had them for 11 years and then they weren't going to get in the first team. So we've got a transfer strategy, which hopefully says we keep most of our own product, i.e. our graduates from the academy, until they're 24. Um, that's the time at which we get compensation. That's the time at which they're probably ready to uh, fly the nest and go somewhere else. And of course, they're probably blocking a damn good player at 18 who's ready to come in. Um, so the process is, it goes on all year. Um, but the crude answer to your question is Dave's got a budget. That's the crude answer to your question. Just a question that's just sprung to me there when you're talking about databases. Does does that explain how we end up signing a Norwegian striker from the top Danish division to come and play in uh, League Two in England with Tua and any? It does, yeah. yeah. Um, I have to say it's not something that makes me feel very easy. Uh, Brentford do it all the time. I mean, they use a money ball system. We don't use the Moneyball system, but it's it's 
were doing similar kind of things. They pay tens of thousands of pounds a year for all their software. We do it ourselves in a much more um, crude way, but we don't need to recruit 20 players a season. We hopefully only in normal seasons only need to recruit three or four. Um, so, but yes, that, that's the simple answer to the question. You know, he came up um, uh, on the database because you can, you can buy these data streams for all the divisions um, across Europe and all the divisions are, are ranked. Um, so the championship is the same as the Premier League in Austria or something, you know, um, League One is the same as Division Two in France. So I can't remember what, but they're, they're all ranked. It's all, it's all on the computer and, um, and we use it quite effectively. But at the end of the day, you know, Dave and Kenny decide who they want and what they want them for. Um, so, for example, you know, we've signed Chris Porter again. Well, why have we signed Chris Porter? You know, he's not going to play 40 games. We've signed Chris Porter because he's a fantastic pro. He's brilliant with the kids in terms of telling them what they've done wrong and telling them what they've done right and what they should do differently. And he probably will get us 12 goals. Um, now, he can't be a self centre forward, obviously. Uh, he's 37 years of age. So they're, they're decisions that Dave makes um, and really in essence yes he takes counsel all the time but they're all his decisions when you say it's a, a crude answer regarding the budget is it simply a monetary figure that you slide under his nose and say right that's that or is it negotiable and do things like the new stadium sponsorship sort of increase it at all um i my answer today whenever he talks about you know player sales or uh new sponsorship or anything like that, when we go through our negotiation, I said, yeah, that's just paying off the debt, right? So, <laughs> when, we get, when we get that done, we'll, we'll have a different conversation. No, it's not. It, it's, you know, it's not just banged under his nose. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a discussion, but it, it does come down to, at the end of the day, a budget, you know, it, he has to be happy with it. You know, there's no point in, you know, somebody said to me oh, a couple of years ago, you know, why you put the money in? You just, all you need to do is balance the books. I said, well, you know, no club in League Two, not a single club in League Two, balances the books. They all make a loss, so they all rely on the owners to, you know, one way or another to put money in. He said, well, you should balance the books. I said, well, I'll balance the books tomorrow. If I give Dave Artel half a million pound a year, you know, and save myself another, whatever it is, one and a half million pound a year, we'll balance the books. We might be in the Evo stick premier, but we'll balance the book. So, you know, the number is... The number is always based on, you know, negotiation stroke common sense, but he works to a number. So, you know, if he wants to spend five grand a week on somebody, which which he doesn't, because, you know, that gives you a dressing room problem when the other players aren't, aren't on that kind of money. But if he wanted to, that would be his decision. Um, but he works within that budget, simple as that. Um, and it's not, you know, it's not casting stone or written in blood, but it's the budget and he works to it and he's very good at it and uh you know the secret football if you like from a business point of view is is dead simple an under budget team overperforms if i give you 10 million quid and tell you to play in league two and you don't go up and you go down any anybody can do that yeah buy the best players and underperform you know the trick is to get somebody who's clever enough like dave and kenny to buy players you know, on, a, on the lowest or, you know, one of the lowest budgets in the league um, and overperform. And we do that through the academy. Now, his budget is slightly false in the sense that um, the academy players, you know, 
don't get huge wages. So the money we put in the academy should be counted, you know, towards our playing budget because we, without that academy money, we wouldn't be producing, you know, Nicky Powell or Josh Lundstrom or you know Ryan Winkle or Perry Ng, and they've come through the academy. But the crude answer is he works to a budget, and so he should. Can I ask um, again? We are recording this uh, about a week and a half before it's due to go out. Um, We've just signed Sean McDonald, but yesterday it was announced that Ryan Wintour left. I mean, it's no secret that he wasn't going to be here next year. Um, there's been a bit of a split amongst the crew fans on social media that good move. I think everyone agrees on that. But should he be trying to go for a fee to help the the crew model? And does transfers like that, do they hurt the club? Is that, you know, is that going to make this transfer uh, strategy unsustainable? Yeah, I mean, you, you... No, it's a great question. It, it, it hits the heart of the matter. Listen, I, I, I'm not going to say anything negative about uh, Ryan Winkle. Uh, I, I'd hoped that he would have signed a new contract and we would have sold him and uh, all said you would have got 20% of that, right? Um, but he didn't. Um, and we've had Ryan Winkle for two or three years playing great football on a lot lower wages than he could have got at Northampton or any other, or any other place. Ideally, we would like players to go, you know, uh, some some will obviously stay and stay through, but for those who go to go around the age of 24, when they're, they've probably played 250 games for crew, to go to a club that's going to play them, you know, not go to, you know, Paris Saint-Germain and sit on the under-21s bench. They want to go to Cardiff and play, or, you know, Blackburn Rovers and play. Uh, I'd have much preferred if we could have engaged. We didn't lose Ryan Wintle this summer. I mean... We needed to sign Ryan. We have—I referred to it earlier as a transfer strategy, and we had a—we have a transfer strategy. Ryan really should have signed a new contract eighteen months ago, but he didn't. Um, so, you know, Ryan going um, was absolutely inevitable. But you know, Perry hasn't, and uh, Harry hasn't, and Charlie hasn't, and um, you know, gone for free. They, they've gone because it's time for him to move on. You know, and play at a higher level, and and damn good luck to them. Um, you know, everybody, all the crew fans are going to watch Harry Pickering, you know, storm up and down the left wing for Blackburn Rovers. And they're going to be cheering Blackburn Rovers on. Um, and that's fantastic. I think you're spot on there, Charles. I think for me personally, and I know there's going to be people that disagree with this, but I feel a much closer affinity to someone like Harry Pickering, who's I think has done it the correct way. He said, I want to go, but he's made sure the club gets some money. Um, he's also, I believe, you could correct me, you don't have to say anything, uh, but there's a sell-on fee, so if Blackburn makes some money on him in a few years, then Crew will get some money. And, you know, Ryan Wintour, he could sign a new contract and then leave on a free and just say 20% sell-on, a bit to Olsager. You know, that's the way I see it personally. Again, I know Mark disagrees, you know, he's happy that Ryan Wintour's done his time, he's moved on to a bigger club, good luck to him, but... I think you have to put a bit back into the, the club that's made you personally. Oh, yes, you do. And I, I, I'm sort of, if you like, I suppose I'm closer to you. But it's, I, I really don't see it as black and white as that in the sense that, you know, Ryan has put a lot back into the football club. You know, he's given some sterling performances. You know, we're going to have to pay an awful lot more money to replace what we have, to replace Ryan Wintle than we were paying him. So, you know, he, is, he has paid us back in terms of his performances and, you know, I always, you know, I always say, you know, we pay chimney sweet wages type thing, but the reward, the reward comes later. And that's, that's the model we've always had. And, you know, we are one of the only, is it 
can't remember now. There's only 30 odd football clubs that have never been broke or gone bust, and we're one of them. So it sort of works, and we're still in League Three. We'd like to be in League Two, uh, you know, Division Two, so to speak, or the second level. Um, but you know, we're in the third level, and uh, you know, with a bit of luck last year, we could have been in the playoffs using that using that approach. Um, we knew Ryan was going to go, and we've been looking for Ryan's replacement or keeping an eye out for Ryan's replacement for a long time. Um, I'd have much preferred Ryan signed a contract um, eighteen months ago, where he'd still got a year to go today. And we'd sold him for you know the sort of the kind of figures uh, that we sold uh, Pixie and uh, Perry for, and with the sign on and the twenty percent to all say, but it wasn't to be. And I don't think we can be too critical. He's a young man. He's got you know he's got to earn his way. They only get seven or eight years to do it, and this is the way he decided to do it. Yeah. Um, could I go on to the fourth player then? You just mentioned him before, Charlie Kirk. Um, yeah. Anyone anyone who saw him in the promotion season, championship winning season, let's be honest, um, up from League Two, I think would be very surprised to see that he's the one that's still at crew. Um, are we expecting any movement with that? There was a little bit of talk in January, wasn't there, with Charlton? No, I, no, no, I mean, and I'm expecting talk again, but... The one thing, you know, the, the, the new directors find this um, uh, very difficult to understand. Well, what, you know, what's happening? What's happening? I mean, nothing's happening. <laughs> I mean, like, oh, you know, you, you, there must be. No, <laughs> there isn't. Now, will there? You want to guess? Yeah, probably. I would have thought because there was interest in January. But I mean, you know, if a, if a lower team or no better team is going to come in with a silly low bid, um, but Charlie might get double the wages and play in a lower league. Would he go? I don't know. You know, are a championship club going to come in for him? I, I genuinely don't know. Um, you know, Charlie is a, a real talent, um, and but he needs to be managed correctly. And uh, I hope Charlie goes on. I really do. I mean, I love him to bits. Uh, but I genuinely don't know what's going to happen with him in the next six weeks. He's here for another year. Um, we're talking about a contract at the moment. Whether you know it's whether he signs a contract or not, I don't know. Um, we'll have to see. But um, equally, he could go in the summer. You know, so um, he's done some great things, hasn't he? He's done some really yeah, well. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think the other one, I, I, I'm sure you're going to give me exactly the same answer in that you just don't know. But he's been mentioned quite a lot in you know national news, like national social media accounts. Is Owen Dale? There's quite mm. a lot of talk about you know and deservedly so at the end of the season that he had yeah. you know he won our podcast player of the season award along with every Everything other else, award yeah. At, yeah or every other award at the club um again how confident are you are that he's going to be at the, the crew at the start of the season oh Is i'm it, pretty confident he'll be at the crew at the start of the season he's got another year to go on his contract um and we rate owendale extremely highly you know um and as far as i'm aware other than one half piece of interest from a club that you would be very unimpressed by. I don't think anybody's uh, showing. Uh, I don't think we've got any current discussions going on at all. If, if we did, we I would know, uh, although I wouldn't be involved in the detail. Um, hey, listen, you know, there's an industry out there now. They're called agents. You've probably heard of them. You know, I mean, it's their job to, you know, set the social media on fire, and it's their job to. Uh, generate deals where there was never going to be a deal uh, and sometimes to ruin deals where there was going to be a deal. 
So we have to accept that football's, you know, is an entertainment business. And even at our level, uh, with the interest we've got, you know, uh, through social media um, and your podcast, you know, this is, this is what we do. We spend time talking about it. Why do we do that? Well, because we love it. That's why, <laughs> you know, it's really interesting and we love it. Um, but that puts an awful lot of confusion into the mix. That's not a complaint, by the way. It's a statement of fact. It puts a lot of confusion into the mix. Um, and, you know, I just take each day as it comes. We have plans, you know, I mean, um, we sign them on contracts for periods of time and hope that, you know, they're going to play and they're going to score lots of goals or stop lots of goals, you know, wherever they happen to be or create lots of goals. Um, and the football clubs gets better and the players move on and they get better. I mean, and that's, you know, that is at the heart of the plan and the reason in answer to your question a few minutes ago, why, you know, Dave and Kenny got appointed. I was just curious then when you said that if a bid came in, you would know, but you wouldn't be involved in the detail. How does that come about then? Who does take the initial interest? Oh, the, oh, the, manager. the manager. Right, okay. I mean, the manager doesn't sell him. You know, the, the whole board uh, will sign off a... a the whole board will sign off um, a player sale. Um, I, I, you know, I wouldn't allow Dave. Dave doesn't get the opportunity to sell a player until, you know, I think it's a good idea, and we put it to the directors. And it's a, you know, it's a bold decision to sell players. Uh, always has been, and I can't see that changing. But there is so much stuff knocking about. What I meant was, you know, the the, the, the what about him and what about him and how, you know, how much would you and how much is this and how much that and. Whether it's going to come to anything or not, that's you know that's football stuff, and Dave does football stuff. Um, then when it's it, when it becomes material and real, well, that's different. Um, then I get involved, which is why you know I can say to you as of twenty fourth of June, you know at the moment we're not considering any bids that I'm aware of. Um, now that isn't to say somebody might wrong Dave up and send you know is Billy Sass Davis available for fifty grand? No idea, you know, or something equally silly. Uh, that sort of stuff goes on all the time, but that's part of his job and how he finds time to do it sometimes with all these agents and texts that he gets. I don't know, but he does. So, um, But no, when it gets serious and, you know, the likes of Perry at Cardiff and, and Pixie and coming back and playing for the rest of the season. Yeah, I certainly get involved then. Um, and the board is very much involved in that decision. I think you've pretty much answered my question, obviously, pretty much what Mark said. You said there's half of interest you know, in Dale, but I didn't know whether that was from an agent that was trying to stir it up or whether it was an official approach from a director of another club. Like, I don't know what the Well, it certainly isn't the process is. I can tell you that. Okay. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, the, the minute, I mean, it would be, you know, it's much better to interview Dave Artel about these matters because he can give you funny answers um, and he probably knows all, all the back chat that's going on um, on, you know, in text and the Facebook or whatever else. But uh, for me, as we stand at the moment, but, you know, we, we haven't reached the end of June. All these players are, you know, even Ryan Wintle is contracted with this football club. Fact. Every single player contract runs July the 1st till June the 30th. So until next Friday, you know, Ryan Wintle's still a crew player. So it doesn't tend to get going until after June the 30th when either players are out of contract, which is where, you know, the, the sort of ballpark that, or the, um, the, the pool that we fish in, or 
some players start their last year of their contract. The 1st of July is the first day of the last year of their contract. And that's very often when things tend to get um, busy, should we say. But at the moment, um, I think people are too busy watching the Euros and working out whether, you know, we'll ever get out again without a mask and stuff like that. You know? <laughs> there, isn't, there, there isn't an awful lot. Um, and for my part, there's nothing going on, really. I mean, we're more, we are far more uh, engaged in trying to replace the players uh, that we've lost. And if you add them up, there's a lot of players, you know, Eddie Nolan. Um, Eddie Nolan was brilliant in League Two. He unfortunately got injured. But, you know, who's going to replace Eddie Nolan? You know, we've had loans in, but we, there's about eight or nine positions, you know, that we, we, we need to sort out during the summer and Dave's hard at it. Uh, and that also includes re-signing our own, our own players, whether that's Owen Dale or whether that's um, Regan Griffiths or, or Billy Sass, both of whom have some. Um, so it's finding the Sean McDonald's and, you know, the Kane Ramses and, and those players, uh, Chris Long's, that we are wholly engaged in and we're certainly not engaged in selling any of our own at the moment. This might be out of date by the time uh, this comes out. Like I say, we're going to look at putting this out in a week and a half time, but we've got two, I think, two players still to sign. Callum Ainley and Josh Lundstrom, are you confident they're going to get over the line? Uh, yeah, I think so. I've, I mean, nothing's come to me that suggests we won't. Um, uh, I think Josh is signing tomorrow, but that'll be a bit irrelevant by the time this goes out. Um and another Callum, I've seen stuff go backwards and forwards. Yes, I mean, the answer to your question is yes, I'm confident that those two players will sign. Um, Hopefully a big season for Callum Ainley next year. I think you would hope so, wouldn't you? I mean, you know, he's he's such a talented player. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a lovely kid. Um, he's a talented player. You know, he's he's played in a few positions, which probably hasn't helped him. This is me talking football now. Yeah, which I um, but as long yeah, as you don't I mean, start picking the team, Charles, then we're all right, I think. Yeah, if I, I start picking the team, we've got real problems, let me tell you. <laughs> um, so no, I, I mean, I think Callum, you know, I hope will sign, um, I'm sure he'll sign, and uh, I hope he has a good season. He's, he's just so talented, and they work hard with him. You know, these the reason these players stay with us, um, you know, to age of maturity and the reason that the Sean McDonald's of this world and the Chris Long's of this world join us is because we continue to coach them and turn them into better players so that they can continue to play when they're 32, 33, 34, 35. Um, and we'll continue to do that certainly with the likes of Callum Ainley. He'll be a better player this year than he was last year. That's what Dave and uh, Alex Morris and Kenny do. Um, and Callum knows that. He's been here forever. So he gets it. He knows what the gig is. OK, I'm just going to go back to someone we've talked about quite a lot, but I think he is also probably one of the club's biggest assets at the moment, the manager, Dave Artell. Um, what's the scenario? Um, say, that, I don't know, let's say Gibraltar come in and offer him the job as manager of the Gibraltar national team. You know, he's a big Gibraltar uh, international, as you know. Um, do we have a... Um, big. I've seen a picture of him playing Both against Germany. So yeah, um, is is the club prepared for him to you know move on up to make an, a step somewhere else? Is there a plan in place, or is that on a, a need to have basis if it happens? It's inevitable, isn't it? It's absolutely inevitable. He's a good manager, 
you know, he nearly got us in the playoffs. You know, he could get us in the playoffs this year. He does fantastic. You know, I would be very surprised if somebody didn't offer him a job that we would, it would be wholly wrong for us to not let him go to. I'm actually surprised it hasn't happened already, to be honest, but it hasn't. Um, and I can tell you, this is a conversation I have with Dave Artell all the time. Because he's, you know, he's no different. You see, the club, the club is about all the people that work in it. So if you looked into the offices and some of the kids that we take on as interns, interns, I think is a, a good word for free, right? So we, people come and work for us for free and then they get a job and then they get a better job and then they move up and they move through and they become better. Um, John Dillon came back to us, you know, as a, an EPPP uh, data importer. You don't need to know what that was, but he's now head of, you know, um, all recruitment and, um, and video analysis. You know, everybody in the club is developed. And if they, if they wish to move on, like uh, Critch, uh, Steve Holland, uh, James Collins, or Dave Artell, that is what we're about. You know, and that's the only way that you can truly say we're about being, you know, local and who we are. Because, you know, I don't think anybody wants a manager for 50 years. So there'll come a point where they're either going to sack him, preferably not, um, or, you know, they will move on to different things. Have we got a plan? Um, yeah, I think we have. You know, do I know the next managers? No, I don't. But we've got a plan because we know, you know, all the coaches that are working in Reese Heath, they move up and through the system, you know. Uh, all the, as I said, all the people who work in the office, the players, you know, come through from the nines, they get to the... The academy, they get to 18s who are now actually playing under 23s. They get onto the bench, they play, they become pixie, they become good, they get sold, they move on. Rio Adebisi steps in behind him. The process um, for Dave uh, will not be as simple and as smooth, but it will be very similar. Uh, you know, I don't think we're going to ask Sam Allardyce to come or... Probably. No, that's good. Thanks, Charles. We don't. Yeah, I. I Bad Yeah. I'd yeah. rather we didn't have Big Sam, if I'm honest. Um, you could rattle off a dozen names of managers that have gone round the mill. You know, that have been managed in Division Four, Division Three, or Division Two type thing. You know, we're unlikely to get a championship, a League One. There's lots of managers who are out of work, and there's lots of managers in League Two who are out of work. And you know, we looked at them last time. From a distance, we didn't interview anybody. Um, you know, we like to work from within if we can, because that's what we're about. You know, that's what crew is about. But at the same time, that model that you speak of is still quite unique, isn't it? Um, for especially for a club our size. So maybe it works the other way where he's not overly keen to jump ship. He'd have to go to somewhere that followed a similar strategy, I would imagine. Well, you would have to ask him, but, you know, I mean, what I can say is that um, I know there are certain clubs that could offer Dave, you know, a lot more money than we're paying him, and he definitely wouldn't go. <laughs> I know that for a fact, you know. Um, but, like I said to him, you know, you have to be persuaded to take this job. I mean, you know, you, you watch the Euros, and, you, you know, you look at uh, Gareth Southgate, and who's sitting next to him? Well, who's sitting next to Gareth Southgate? I mean, I don't know about you, but I look at that and I think that is fantastic. I know he had a bit of a rough spell when we put him in charge, you know, for the time he was in charge. 
bad time. It's a bit like taking over from Terry Wogan on Radio 2. You know, if you if you follow Dario or and then uh, what's his face, um, it, it's tough. But the fact is, there's a, a lad who started with us as a coach, went through the coaching system, just like Collins and, and Critch, um, and he's now assistant manager of England. How fantastic is that? You know, should we have stopped him and not sacked him? And oh, not well, he didn't sack him. He left, but um, should he still be a crew? You know, probably not. You know, he's a fantastic coach and doing a pretty decent job for England, I think. That makes me unbelievably proud. It's our football club. Yeah, I agree. It is. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I absolutely agree as well. Um, you just mentioned, you know, it's the process. We've had Lee Bell on here. Uh, on He had his episode. Um, David Vaughan, I think, was the la- the latest ex-player to join the coaching staff. Um, we've mentioned this guy already, Chris Porter. Do you see him following that role? Obviously, this <laughs> contract he's got has got coaching involved, I believe. I, I think I mean, Chris is Chris is a clever chap, extremely nice bloke. You know, he's just had twins. Um, he's a really nice guy. Uh, I think Chris is not dissimilar to Dave Artell in a sense. I know one was a centre half and one was centre four, but I think Chris has got a lot of um, potential opportunities open to him. You know, uh, whether that be agent, whether that be football administration, you know, academy or. You know, I mean, most football clubs have chief executive and commercial directors and all sorts of stuff, or whether that's in coaching and then eventually management or just management and not coaching. I don't know. What I do know is that Chris is happy to be at the club. He manages himself and his body extremely well um, so that, you know, if he doesn't want to train, he doesn't train because he knows he's going to break. Um, and when he plays and turn, oh, he came on to me, he scored, you know, um, it, He's, he's, he's been great for us and, uh, you know, we will help him with his badges. You know, we will help explain some of the stuff I've just been through with you in the academy and uh, the way the football clubs run. Because, you know, if he was a long term part of our football club, that would be great. He probably won't be. I mean, the odds say he won't. But, you know, if he was, that'd be great. You know, he's not. And the reason I say that is, you know, he didn't start locally, he isn't local you know, uh, particularly. But... Um, he may well be, he may end up, you know, sort of staying and becoming whatever. Uh, I don't know. But I'm just glad we've got him and um, doing all the things I referred to earlier, both in terms of on the pitch and with the kids. Yeah, I think he ha- I think he said this is now his longest serving club. Uh, <laughs> now he's signed this new one year deal. Yeah. Um, but Charles, if I can change the topic uh, slightly. Um, today is fixture release day in League One. We've just found out we've got Cheltenham at home on the first day of the season. Now, obviously, you are crew chairman. You're not leading the government. But what's the latest on fans being back in? Are you aware of anything that's going to happen? Are you confident it's going to happen? Well, I know um, because we're a one shareholder in the 72 shares are the Football League. Um, I know that um, everything we've been told says that um, July the 19th, everything's off. And nobody has uh, contradicted that. Nobody said we should start making plans any differently than that. But I've just had a very frustrating conversation about what might be the um, limitation on crowd for the Wolves game on the 17th. So we've just announced that we're going to have a research project at the Grand Prix. Don't mind the Grand Prix. It's quite good, the Grand Prix. 
120,000 people, and we'll have 2,300 in Gresty Road to watch Wolves. I think that's a bit, you know, naff. Having said that, by the time we do the Ashton game um, with Stoke and we start the season, we should be on full crowds. And I'm working on that. We're hiring staff on that basis and we're informing shareholders on that basis. And I can tell you that that's the only basis that we've been given on which to plan. Um, I'm hoping, I don't know why, but I am hoping that Boris comes up with something that says, well, you know, it's not July the 19th, it'd be July the 12th, but I mean, the Grand Prix is on July the 17th, same day as the Wolves game. Uh, we're planning on full crowds. We believe that's where it will be. Up until then, we have a meeting next week, is it next week? with um, SAG um, and the SGSA, these are, these are people with real clout. You know, they're, they're the safety guidance and um, security people, and they include Public Health England and all that, you know, these, these people can. Our problem is that we've got a, net, a very, uh, uh, it's all about the, uh, the concourse and how many people can pass on the concourse. The concourse is quite narrow, there's the three entrants, um, and 2,300 is, is the number, so we'll see. I am very much hopeful that by the time that weekend comes, it will be more than that. But certainly by the time um, the uh, Knott's Forest game comes on the 24th, um, that you know, we'll, have a full, we'll be able to have a full complement and they're, and they're onwards. We've got Hartlepool away, Portsmouth away, and Oxford United away, so we'll be gone for quite a long while anyway. Yeah, true. I was, yeah. I was, I was going to touch on that. In terms of away fans, is that there's obviously been talk about home fans only. Do you think it's... I'll be honest with you, I want to go to Charlton away on August Bank all day. That's yeah, the reason I, for the question. I, I, but as, as, from an income point of view, obviously, we'll, you know, Sunderland are thinking in October. We would want... Tuesday night, that something. is. Yeah. Yeah. But is that an option? Is, you, I mean, is away fans looking like it's going to happen? Or? Well, honestly, I don't know. I mean, we are still working. This is another podcast, guys. I mean, you know, other than it'll probably be over by then. I mean, I we know that the government cares about football and wants it on the telly. It saved the government and the people watching football. You know, I follow uh, all the games on Sky, BT. It's... It's been fantastic. The government loves football. Boris doesn't even know what it is, but he loves it because it's it's played a big part. Yet, you know, we can have a full Wimbledon. Oh, that's a research project. And we can have a full British Grand Prix. Oh, that's a research project. What do we do at Crew against Wolves for Friendly on July the 17th, two days before July the 19th? Ah, oh, you're still on SAG 2. I won't bore you with what SAG 2 is. It's a manual about this thick, but that means that Bev um, and Cliff sit down and read the manual, sit down with Public Health England, SAG and SGSA, and they come up with 2,300. And then you say, well, sure, you know, I mean, nobody's going to hospital anymore, not many people are dying, they're all going to the British Grand Prix, they're all going to Wembley, they're all going to Wimbledon. Surely, you know, well, that might be the case, but for now, it's 2,300. <laughs> That's what you get. So, I mean, we really are pretty much in the dark in the sense that we know exactly what it is, but it's as of four months ago. Nobody's nobody's written any new rules for today. What they say is as of July the 19th, it's all finished. Can I just ask, I'm not sure if you can 
uh, answer this concisely or not because it's such a huge question but um because for a club our size how just how greater impact has it had not fans not coming through those turnstiles um in the last year and how do we compare against other clubs our size or in our league for example well it's had a significant impact um that impact has been significantly lessened by the attitude of our uh, fans and the support they've given us um, through the refunds and all the rest of it, which has just been unbelievable. It's been fantastic, you know. So that has that has um, lessened the blow significantly, and we're eternally grateful for the fans because we would be in a, a much much worse position if um, if that hadn't happened. Relative to League One. Um, we are certainly in a better position than all but about three or four, I would have thought, because we don't have the same budgets, we don't have the same losses, um, and it is about loss, it's not about profit. Um, so relative to the, to, to the other clubs, we're in pretty good condition. You know, there's a lot of clubs who've pushed their tax and, you know, um, their payments back, taken loans, um, from the Football League and from the Premier League. Overall, we're in, relative to the the 24 in two and the 24 in League One and the 24 in the Championship, we're okay. The Championships, you know, got real problems. I mean, last year, the Championship spent 107% of its income on player wages. So that include electricity, gas, you know, water, salaries. Right? 107% of its income on average, went on player wages. Now, you don't have to be a mathematician to work out that that gives you a bit of a problem. Um, we're a bit better in League One, but there's an awful lot of clubs pushing a lot of money in to get into the championship and betting, you know, shoving a lot of money in to try and, you know, to try and make it. Um, and, they're, and they're suffering because their revenues, particularly the bigger clubs, you know, the... Uh, they just didn't make the revenues that they would normally make. So they're hurting a lot more. Having said that, they're a lot bigger. And when it all returns to normal, which it will, then they'll probably recover as, as quicker than, than most as well. But this, it, it had a significant impact, which is significantly reduced by our fantastic fans. And relatively speaking, we're not bad. But nobody wants to see three, four, five clubs go out of business because that just damages you know, the, the reputation and the integrity of the league. So, you know, we're all crossing our fingers for, for everybody. Did did I follow make you more money than you expected? And do you yeah, think that'll course. carry on that that coverage? Do you think that'll carry on this coming season? The football league's rules have been um, and regulations have been built since eighteen seventy seven. Not that one uses a book anymore, but if you used a book, it'd be about that thick. Now. You can complain about those rules and you can complain about those regulations. Um, but we wrote them and we agreed to them and we all put our hands up and voted for them. So we have to work with them. And the biggest rule in there relative to iFollow is Regulation 48, which says you cannot, um, you cannot show football games at three o'clock on a Saturday. Because if Liverpool and Manchester United stream their games every Saturday at three o'clock, nobody would bother going to Gresty Road. Now, we know that's not true, but we know it would have, you know, a very significant impact. So across the world, it's a FIFA thing as well. 
Across the world, games are genu generally not streamed live. The odd one might be, but generally, as you can see in the UK, we have a match on at 12.30, finishes at 2.30 in time for supporters to nip down to their local football club. So you couldn't do I follow once fans return without changing that rule. Now, that is a huge decision for football. I mean, it's massive. Um, you know, it'd be measured in billions. Okay. Actually, billions. Because if Liverpool could stream all the time across the world, you know, uh, 10 or a go to 350 million people, you know, I mean, the numbers are just... So it's, it's way beyond my pay grade, but we're part of the process. I think, um, and I don't know how, but it might take as long as it did to talk to Norman... Hassel, you know, seven years. But I think there is a role for iFollow and streaming. I think the iFollow product has got a lot better. I think the Football League has gained a lot of credibility around the world, uh, just as the EFL uh, through iFollow. Um, and I think there will be a place for it. But there's 72 people got to argue about that first. Some will want it tomorrow like that. Somebody will not want it at all. And then there's Regulation 48, which is for the world and the FA and everybody else. So it's a really complicated question. But you'd have to think so, wouldn't you? But don't hold your breath. OK. I think from, you know, from my uneducated point of view, if fans are back home and away, then it goes. If fans aren't all back and, you know, there's restrictions on away fans, then it will stay. But again, I'm just a fan. I think, that's, I think that's a, that is a very good summary, Stuart. I, I think... As of tomorrow, you know, as of August the first, that is undoubtedly what it will be because we haven't agreed anything else. So you couldn't, you could not have I follow at the start of this season with all the fans in the stadium because the amount of work that would need to be done, and it is huge. You know, this is not just a little decision; it is massive. Right across football, nobody streams a football game at three o'clock on a Saturday. Only to only abroad. It doesn't, it doesn't happen. I was going to say, as so long as they don't take the UAE ones away, because otherwise I'm uh, I'm screwed for next season. So, yeah. yeah well, you've got to be careful with that, because that is, if you like, the source of our, our problems as well. But, you know, look, it is what it is. Um, we'll see. Um, Charles, I'm going to finish with a few questions on future plans at the club, if that's OK. Um, about half an hour ago or so, you said that you don't like looking past... In the past, you like looking to the future. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to ask you about what we've got coming up off the field. Um, we know that the Crew Alex scoreboard is now a thing. It's been talked about for about, what, 50 years? Um, <laughs> I promised it about three years ago. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it's not quite ready yet, but it's it's on the way. Oh, yes. it's. Um, uh, we had an amusing um, conversation with the supplier on Monday, where he said it got stuck in the Suez Canal, which we said, well, that's very convenient. Anyway, it is supposed to be, I mean, all the all the work's been done, the frames are in, we're ready to go. Uh, I believe that it gets installed with about four days to go before the Wolves game. Now, will it be installed by the Wolves game? Who knows, right? I mean, there's a pandemic on. But is it real? Is it coming? You know, will it be here this season? Absolutely, yeah. That felt to me, um, you know, with the supporters paying a bit of the way for that, it felt very much like a, a railway men supporters group uh, initiative, or at least, you know, some sort of brainchild from there. Um, how important do you see that supporters group in how the club is run? How close do you want to maintain links with that? 
Oh, very much so. I mean, um, just to correct you on that point, the, the we've wanted a scoreboard for a very long time. Um, but it's, you know, going back to your original question, I think as you mark, you know, if we're putting money in just to keep the club afloat, it's very difficult to put money in to buy a scoreboard when Northern's taking, you know. So the scoreboard has been there forever. What the what the RSS brought to the party was that um, once they were formally involved with the football club, they, their number one shout was the scoreboard. So we said, told you we want a scoreboard. <laughs> so the first thing we turned our attention to was what was at the top of the RSS list. Um, so that's that's what we've done. I mean, I'm you know I'm passionate. I mean, Mark Bevan and I have some great sit downs because I, I sort of say to him, "Whoa, hang on a minute." Are you talking now as the chairman of the supporters or are you talking as a, di a financially responsible director of the football club? And he goes, <laughs> and it's all, it's all good fun um, because it is important that, that, you know, the fans and this, I don't know how many shareholders there was, 350, wasn't it, that subscribed to the RSS? Um, that's a lot of supporters. It's probably 10% of our normal, but you know, sort of worst case base perhaps seven and a half percent of a good base and you know so it's a lot of people who've got a view and um i think that's important that, that view reaches um and is listened to in, in the boardroom and it is so i was very very much in favor of doing it um and we did it uh, and i'm chuffed to rocks and it turns out that um there's an awful lot more people would like to do it. And it also turns out, if you look at the Tracy Crouch review into football, that it's similar to what she's going to suggest out of her review, I think. So, sounds good to me. Um, you know, can you have beer at 50 pence a pint? No. <laughs> we'll go bust. Um, but, you know, should, it, should this happen or should that happen? Can we do this? Why don't we do that? All that stuff gets listened to. Um, I think it's very healthy. I think it's great. Uh, while you're mentioning beer at the at the ground, did I see card machine new card machines in the refreshment kiosks? Did I see a picture of that for this season? Uh, you may well have done. Yeah. Um, right. okay. You're talking to a software engineer. That's my that's my <laughs> business, right? Um, our technology has not been great. We're trying to get to a point where we've got you know single customer information database. Um, you know where we can get. Uh, multi-access we don't have data duplication um, so we what we don't want to do is just stick stuff in here there and everywhere and one of the things that the supporters group was very interested in was like a loyalty system within the club um, you know, I don't know call it a nectar card if you like but equally you know we've got that going on with um, Ticketmaster on one hand then with the new uh, shop, shop system an online shop system we've got something different there again We've just decided to renew all the T-bar um, tills so that we can, you know, so more people can get a cup of tea up down rather than queuing up and not getting one. Um, and all that's in train as we speak, but it all hangs together or not yet, yeah, I'm not quite sure. But it's going, in, it's all going in the right direction. So you should be able to go up to, I believe, uh, go up to the T-bar and go, and, you know, I mean, why do you need a card, you know? Should be a fact, isn't it, really? But um, anyway, uh, yes, th there's quite a lot of um, thought and investment going into how we bring together the, the ticketing system, the, the the online, the new online shop system, um, the lo a loyalty system, the uh, season ticket holder system, which is it's not really a database, but it's another set of data. 
and then uh, everything that happens on the retail side in the in the stadium. Um, I'm sure it'll be I'm sure there'll be mistakes and there'll be problems, but it's it's going in the right direction. It's pushing in the right direction. Now seems an appropriate time to ask this. It was something I was going to ask. There seemed to be a lot of criticism this time last year around the away shirt. Um, I've not obviously not gauged the reaction. It seems 50-50 this time to the home shirt. I know nothing of who designs it, who comes up with it. Do you ever see a point in the future where there'll perhaps be maybe three designs put out and the fans are able to say, yeah, that one, as we're going to be buying them, it seems logical that they have a say in the shirt. Um, the more people that like it, the more people are going to buy it. Yeah, you'd have thought so, wouldn't you? Do you know, I've never even thought about it. I'll tell you what, I have absolutely nothing to do with picking the shirts. I just remember no, right, okay. Steve Davis a few years ago. What? You've picked, oh, they'll love it, the players. I said, well, they might. What about the support? Oh, they'll love it as well. well I don't. I mean, they, some of these things have a life of their own. They, they, they come, the, the designs, um, at the end of the day, come from FBT. So, you know, we get, we get, we can't design our own shirt because if we do that, then that will cost an awful lot more. So they come to us with a stack of designs and, you know, red shirts are not uncommon, are they, in football? So they'll have however many, you know, red shirts and obviously they won't send the same one as a, a possible to crew that they'll send to Cheltenham. Um, I know we did in the old days, but today that's not the way things work. So um, I tell you what I will do. I'll ask Mark and I'll ask... Um, about dying next time I see it, whether that's uh, something we should think about, you know, hands okay. involvement in picking a shirt. I can see a real upside to that and I can see absolute pandemonium. But hey, you know, I mean, sounds like a good idea. There's a there's a possibility it might get hijacked by a team down the road uh, and we end up wearing the worst shirt out of the three, maybe. But there's, there's, a, there's a lot of problems with going, you know, going out. I mean, we, we have had problems with the team down the road on other issues during the close season. But the, the, the basic <laughs> question that Mark's asking is, you know, should there be some involvement? You know, so uh, I can't think really of a reason why not. Um, but it's not something I've been, you know, I've been involved in the detail in, in the sense that uh, I've loved some of the kits and I haven't liked some of them. You know, there's some that I haven't liked at all. You know. Mm. Um, last thing then that has been announced uh, and is going to be new this season is Gresty Road that has not actually been called Gresty Road for, I don't know, 15, 20 years now, has got a new name, the Mournflake Stadium. Um, that's quite a big step for the club, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Um, it's it, it doesn't stand in isolation. Right? I mean, it, the, the commercial side of the football club in terms, you referred to it earlier in terms of how much more Dave Artel could spend. Um, the commercial side of the club has needed attention for a long, long time. Now, we could put all that at the door of Norman, Norman Hassler, if you like. Why, why bring more money in if you can't keep it? And it's, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I think I, I'm on record as saying, and I certainly did say to all the new directors and um, shareholders, that it's not just your money that we want. You know, it's your ideas and your it's and it's your energy, and you know these guys are all local. You know, they're all uh, they've all watched crew on and off for a minimum of ten, and some of them forty and fifty years, um, and they haven't done it to make money, and they've done it you know to make the club better. And I always remember talking to one of them who will remain nameless, but he's the one I've known the longest. He says, "You know, our commercials rubbish at crew." I'd say, "Yes, it is." But when you get here, it will be better, won't it? 
you know, you're going to help make it better. <laughs> and the commercial's moving in the right direction. So we're looking at all aspects of where other clubs, if you like, earn money. Now, um, because of TV, because of iFollow, whatever, whatever, and because of whether it be HS2 and what's happening in the town, employment, you know, there's an awful lot of local businesses, local, you know, that's, isn't that what we're about? There's an awful lot of local businesses who truly are interested in supporting the club. Now, supporters, you know, pay their hard-earned cash and buy their season tickets. Other supporters, you know, um, name a stand, buy a gold ticket, you know, whatever, whatever. So we've actually got a commercial strategy now um, for all, well, all aspects, for an awful lot of aspects of our business, which can help earn more money, which reduces the loss and potentially, you know, enables Dave to have slightly more money. And the stadium was, you know, we've got, various stands named um, and we've got various things around the football club both here at um, Reeseith and even at Shavington that are sponsored but we never had a stadium sponsor and um, when Mourn Flake um, agreed to sponsor the stadium I thought that was a really appropriate sponsor I mean we've been around since 1877 They've been around since 1577, which is pretty impressive, really. And they've been around here. You know, they, they are local. So I thought it was a fantastic fit. Um, there were other people you know, who were interested um, in sponsoring the stadium. But Mournflake um, and John Lee and the whole Mournflake setup have stood by this football club. Fantastic. Through thick and thin, not just money you know, um, reputationally and everything. And uh, I don't think we could have picked a, uh, a better sponsor. Um, I know it's, you know, it's, it's not universally liked. Um, equally, a lot of people think it's it's very good. But um, I thought it should be in the Mournflake Bowl, personally. Well, <laughs> um, that's right. I mean, the it's porridge bowl. the porridge bowl. That's what we've decided. The, the stadium's called the porridge bowl, surely. So if it had been the Mournflake Bowl, I think after the initial, you know, guffaw and, and laughs, it actually would have stood uh, the test. But I think the Mournflake Stadium sounds fine. I mean, if we could get our planning application or the, app, the planning application through to put some letters on the side of the building, you'd see them on the side of the building. But hey-ho, I'm sure that will happen one day when Cheshire East go back to it. Um, but... Um, yeah, I mean, what could you say about Montclair? They're fantastic, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. we had a choice and, and we chose Montclair. Okay. Um, is there anything else that you can tell us that might not be happening yet, but is in the pipeline or maybe a pipe dream at the moment if, if, if in the future of the club? Well, we're looking at a whole stack of things, really. I mean, um, but they're not immediate. I mean, we've got plans... We don't know what HS2 is going to do. Um, we know it's not going to knock the stadium down, for example, um, because it isn't. They don't. They don't. They don't require the stadium. But it's going to affect the car park in some way. Now, if we affect the car park, we might have to do things, you know, slightly differently. Um, we might. We've talked about whether we could uh, do something with the away stand. Now, whether it's still, you know, the the north stand, should we call it the the away support stand as it is at the minute. Um, there's all sorts of things we're looking at, but they're you know they genuinely are conversation. They're not, you know, they're not plans. 
what I can tell you is that born out of a, a commercial strategy, born out of the, the football strategy from academy right the way through um, to Chris Porter, so to speak, uh, and born out of the way in which uh, people are now working within, you know, there's not a lot of employees within the football club compared to a lot of other football clubs. You know, we're all looking that way. We're all looking forward. Um, and we'll come up with all sorts of mad ideas. And as I said to everybody, you know, look, we might not even get them right first time, but it doesn't matter. You know, if you've got the right idea and you're trying and you do it, then you will get it right. And there's a, there's a stack of things, you know, we, I, I spoke briefly to the council and asked them if they wanted us to move the stadium. You know, um, they said not, so that's fine. Not because, you know, as I said to you with the Nantwich, if we, if we sold our stadium, it wouldn't be anywhere near enough to, you know, to build another one. So it would have to involve, you know, other entities like the railways or, 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 the, um, or the council, um, but they don't. So we're going to be at Gresty Road for a very long, long, long time. So there are things that we should be looking to do with the stadium and we're starting to put those plans together, but there's no detail to them. And uh, we need to get, frankly, uh, on a firmer footing. You know, uh, I feel quite buoyed really where we are at the minute, slightly disappointed that we didn't sneak into the playoffs, but quite buoyed. Um, I look at the board and the people that sit around the table, including Mark and the supporters, I'm really chuffed. Does that give us the opportunity to look forward with some real um, confidence and uh, energy and, you know, all those kind of things? Yeah, I think it does. Um, will Dave Artel win on Saturday? Well, that's a different matter altogether. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, we've gone through a period of, you know, it's been a, it's been a rough 10 years um, financially and it's been a rough five years for for other reasons that we all know and I think all of those things are being have been or are in the process of being addressed and where we're going and what we can do you know it won't be a billionaire investment and a new stadium down the A500 you know and uh, a push for the Premier League none of those things are going to happen all right what's going to happen is we're going to try and get the football club into the championship at some point um because that's where we would like to be. You know, would the would the football club be punching above its weight in the championship? Well, of course it would. You know, <laughs> you take the twenty the twenty teams and the twenty four teams. You know, we're not the forty fourth biggest town, biggest supported uh, football club, but we've been there. Why shouldn't we try and get there again? Why shouldn't we make the fan experience better? Well, we're trying to do that as well. You know, we've done a lot of work behind the scenes with the bars and um, and the club. Um, and the Alexandra Club or the Alexandra Suite, um, and uh, I'm enthused. I really, am. yeah. Bring it on, Charles. Can I just uh, throw in a bit of a navel gazing question? Do you or do people at the club listen to this podcast? Uh, people at this club listen to this podcast. I tend not to because um, I think it comes back to my software cynicism. You won't find me, you won't find a digital footprint for me. Um, as I once explained to one of our players many years ago, you just realise that you've just told six billion people that, don't you? And he said, no, 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 no. It's only the four that are in my group. And I went, yeah, right. Um, so I'm a bit averse to being, you know, having much of a digital footprint. And I don't follow it. To be honest, um, I've listened to it on one occasion, I think, and that was when Mark uh, mentioned it. Uh, I know that there are two or three others that do, whether it's regular or not, I don't know. Um, but as a 
I think anything we do of this fashion um, to get messages out or even back in can only be good, which is why, as I said to you at the start, you know, if you want to do more of these, I'm very happy to do it in the sense that, you know, the, the football club and the various elements that you've sort of uh, stepped your way through, Stuart, are huge, huge subjects. They shouldn't be secret. You know, I mean, some things have to be confidential. That's different, right? Medical records, transfer fees, you know, they're contractual matters and, you know, very often have to stay that way. But, you know, in terms of the football club and what we intend or why it went wrong or all those kind of things, I mean, the fans, you know, deserve to know that. So you should tell them. Excellent. I mean, if you're willing to come on whenever, Charles, August the 7th, first game of the season, come on, tell us what you think happened on the pitch that, you know, there's a standing offer for you there every week. I think the answer to that is I'd love to come on if we've won. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have Dave Artell on if we've lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we're hoping you, you know, give him a good word, say we're nice people and uh, he'll be on next. Yeah. <laughs> So final question from me, Charles. Um, I'm going to start with a quote. Um, it is another one of yours that I found in a, in a report. It says, the people now at this club all share the same belief. It's not ours. It's to be looked after and passed on, hopefully at least in as good a shape as when we got involved. You've just mentioned billionaires, Premier League. How many millions of pounds does it cost for you, the Crew Alex fan, to convince the board to sell to a Russian oligarch, a oil-rich sheikh, someone who's going to come in and say, I'm going to transform this club into the next Man City. Um, my idea was to have 10, 10% shareholders. I think we've got nine 10% shareholders and some of us. Um, the whole reason for doing that was that they're all people who've come in for the same reason. They're all Crow Alexander supporters. Therefore, when we make an important decision and we change the rules, you need 80, 80% to make a big decision. You would need eight of those nine. If eight of those nine people decided to do anything, including selling to a Russian billionaire, then it would probably be at that time the right thing to do. Do I think that will ever happen? No. Do I believe that there's any, a point at which, in the future, which any of us believe, or eight of us believe, that that's a good idea? No. And then the other thing is, which billionaire would be mad enough? You know, I mean, one bought Morecambe, didn't it? I mean, why on earth would you buy Crew Alexandra? You know, I mean, it's you can't make money from League Two and League One football clubs. So the only way you can make money is to put loads and loads of it and turn it into a Premier League club as Blackpool tried and, you know, fell down the pyramid. The, the chances, you can never say never, Stuart, but the chances of it happening are absolutely minuscule. And there is no, there is no way, I don't even think that the board of Crew Alexandra today, if a local well-known person who has got more money than he knows what to do with, came along and said, here is a huge sum of money for your shares, would you like to go? I don't think that would get past the board because the board knows that one person owning a football club is bad for a football club. It's great while they're there. And then the day their business packs up or they get bored, you know, or something goes wrong, 
football club is dispensable, so it just gets cast away. So I, I, I can't foresee the the um, eight to nine key shareholders selling their shares even to a local billionaire, never mind a Russian billionaire, because we don't think that's the way football clubs should be owned, uh, operated uh, and watched because we don't think it's the best way to do it. It might be if you're Manchester United or Liverpool, but not for Crowley Sandra. I'm going to have to change the top of my list then if I ever win the lottery. (laughs) (laughs) You know, at the end of the day, I just think it's better with having shared ownership, shared belief. That isn't saying that we don't don't argue about stuff, because we do. Um, But it's all for the right reason. And to use, to go back to the quote that you uh, just quoted, I mean, you know, I wholly believe that. And I know that the current, you know, the new investors and the, you know, the, the old board of Jimmy and, uh, and Ian um, all believe that to be true. Because, you know, if you want to make money, start a software company, you know, go into Bitcoin, come up with an idea, I don't know. You, you don't do it by buying a football club. And certainly not football club at level three. I mean, it's just madness. You know, even Alan Sugar wrote a book as to how lucky he was to have bought a football club, nearly lost his shirt, and then the Premier League saved him. I mean, it's a hell of a business to get into. Now, this should be for community, and it should be about people who want to do it for the right reasons. Okay, so that's about it from me then today, Charles. Thank you so much for giving us your time. I think I speak for everyone that's going to be listening to this, uh, that I truly hope you have a successful time as chairman of Crew Alex. Um, we look forward to having you on again, maybe next uh, pre-season to discuss the progress that's been made both on and off the pitch. Well, I hope to see you again as well. Um, thank you for your kind words and uh, hopefully we'll be moving in the right direction. And yes, I'd gladly come back. Excellent. Steve and Mark, thank you as ever for coming on today. Cheers, Jim. Thank you for asking me. And of course, thank you for listening. Uh, we're not sure when we'll be next back. It's probably going to be two or three weeks time. It's possibly going to be a season preview. It might be squeezing in a player interview. We'll see how that goes. It's still in the air. Uh, So whenever it is, until then, goodbye. Blue Moon.